I'm Stephen Tracy, and this is the Ruling Elder podcast of the Committee on Christian Education of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. This is a podcast designed to assist in the education, training, and encouragement of ruling elders in their work. Ruling elders are one of God's gifts to his church. Today we're going to talk about how elders can help churches receive, welcome, serve, and serve with people and families affected by disability. I'm delighted to be joined by Doug and Liz Babbitt. Liz is Ministry Relations Manager at Johnny and Friends New England, where, among other things, she seeks to encourage and equip churches to enthusiastically embrace people and families with disabilities as indispensable members of the body of Christ. And Doug works as a speech-language pathologist working in a Massachusetts public school with intensive needs preschool and language-delayed children. Doug and Liz attend New Life Community Church in Georgetown, Mass. That's not an Orthodox Presbyterian church, but it's a church in which there are many dear saints of the Lord Jesus and a church in which I have many precious friends. Doug and Liz, you are very precious friends to me, and I'm glad to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking to elders and wanting to encourage elders. Elders are called to shepherd the flock of God, and that clearly includes people with disabilities. But we're not always comfortable doing that. What do you think are some of the reasons for that discomfort? I think sometimes when you're in a ministry leadership position, you're not always sure how people want to be treated if they're different. I think sometimes we need to just go back to everyone's created in the image of God and go from there, and that we're all called to be neighbors and to love others as Jesus does, and that's being hospitable and friendly and welcoming every person as a, a creation a special with special abilities. It's often overwhelming to think about all the different needs that go along with someone affected by disability and a family affected by disability. So we really want to make sure that elders that are working hard to shepherd people just really understand it's an extension of hospitality. It's just an extra measure of care that someone may need. And so to to, to really not let let it be overwhelming, but take that opportunity to learn more about people and learn more about their needs and take them one at a time. Yeah. I think there's also a piece of this that people are not as comfortable because maybe they, they don't have a lot of experience with disability. Yes. Or they may not have learned or spent time with a family affected by disability. And when you're in that position, you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. And you really don't know, uh, if you're not familiar even with the language, that it just might make people awkward to just feel like, I'm not really sure what to say or how to say it. Yeah, afraid of saying the wrong thing. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think elders and and others in church might might feel that they they have an obligation to become an expert in that particular issue, but that's not the case, right? No, in fact, we like to tell our volunteers and people that serve families with disability that you do not have to be an expert in disability. 
it's better to be an expert in the person or people that you're building the relationship with and spending the time getting to know them as people and spending the time getting to know them as family and what are their gifts and talents and where are their needs and what are their skills. So it's really, for me, it's more about just listening and learning as much as you can. And that would mean the most to a family, an individual family and a family with disability. It's just that we really care about you. That's the message. Yeah. Sometimes another fear I, I think people have is, is, is this going to cost our church money? You know, one of the things that we had to do here at, at Lakeview over a period of time was we had to think about putting in an, an elevator, mm-hmm. which costs some money. Uh, do you think that, uh, that that can have an impact on people? I think that can be one of the initial impressions when you start seeing individuals or people, families with disability coming to your church. You might wonder, okay, what's this going to do? How's it going to change who we are? Or how's it going to change our environment? And when you start realizing that some of the people with physical needs might need a different accessibility and your church needs some of those things, the best thing to do is to stop and just assess what are the things that we might need to change. What can we do right now? What can we do later? What do we need to budget for? And the the point is, is that we emphasize people with disabilities are not a program. Right. They're people. And having relationship with people and building your environment so that they feel comfortable with you, making the adjustments and accommodations for their support means that you care about the people that are coming because they are God's gift to your church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a helpful thing, Liz, that you uh, emphasize again and again. And you're taking that, of course, from Scripture, that that people that are coming, those that appear to be weaker, are in fact indispensable. I think that's very important that we just get it out there and in our heads, and then we can come back to it later. I'm thinking about disabilities not all disabilities are seen. So sometimes it's obvious, but other times it's not so obvious. And not only are not all our disabilities, not all of them are seen, but not all of them are shared. So sometimes people will not really tell you. And it's a, a thing that you might learn later on. And not all disabilities are disabling. Not everyone is suffering and I use that word carefully, not everyone is suffering with a disability. How do church leaders broaden their thinking about people so as not to use the word disability in a way that makes people feel rejected or labeled in some way? There are so many ways I could answer that. Often, Well, first of all, let me say that people with disabilities and families with disabilities are like your secret shoppers in your church. They're there trying to find out if they can fit in, if they might have a place finally where they can belong and have family and build community in faith with people around them that love them for who they are. And so when you realize that some people don't want to talk about their disability It isn't that they don't want to talk about it or share it. They want to know that they can trust you with it. 
they want to know that you're willing to put time and effort and care into getting to know them and understanding the things that that they might live with day in, day out. And so helping them to feel welcomed, helping them to feel comfortable, may open up the trust enough for them to tell you things about their disability or about even mental health issues. You won't find out anything about those things until you've been proven to be someone I can trust. Remember that families with disability are treated badly just about everywhere they go, rejected and marginalized, often just people don't look at them at all or make any attempt to even speak with them on Sunday morning if they go into a church. And so they're really used to that rejection. And so for for us to know that it takes a very special church, a very special elder, very special leaders to make the effort to not only welcome them, but be genuine about, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. And what can we do for you today? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the things that I think would help anyone to know what's important to a family with disability. It's authenticity. It's genuinely caring about you and your needs more than I might have to put an elevator in our building mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about how can we bring you to Jesus. Yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned about families that seem like they're not willing to share is we often hear about families, especially families with younger children that are still of school age, they feel like they have to advocate for their child wherever they go. Yeah. And that's their primary role is to be the advocate. At the doctor, they have to advocate for medical care and therapies. At the school systems, they have to advocate for services and, and so to be an advocate uh, sometimes in that church setting is just one more place that seems like I should be able to go without needing to take on that role yeah. of advocacy. And that often leads to, as you mentioned, families that don't share freely. Yeah. So to be ready by having some knowledge, which helps you with this sense of fear that goes along with some of the disabilities you may encounter, to just have some of that knowledge and be able to offer things in an array kind of format in your church really helps families that aren't quite ready to share and be that vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I remember hearing a mom say those things and saying, I, when she comes to church, I just don't want to be that mom. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, because that, you know, that, that life of advocacy can be exhausting and discouraging too. And so sometimes when a family is coming to your church, they, they're exhausted, mm-hmm. really exhausted. Well, I don't think people realize what it takes to get to church if you are living in a family affected by a disability. And the fact is, many of them tell me that they have spent the last year online looking at church websites, looking for words like special abilities, disability, special needs, any of those key words that are part of the language, and finding out if this church even has a clue of how to welcome people or families like mine. Right. And when they build up the courage to go through the door, then they are there saying to themselves, okay, I made it here. I could just drop. I'm so tired, but yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Only to feel that they're that the church isn't ready for them. 
or even have some thought put toward accessibility. And we're not talking about just physical. We're talking about the whole cultural piece of it, which includes the environment. So it takes a lot for a family to trust you, to come to your church. And when they come in, if they feel rejected, then you've lost them and they probably will not go back to church ever anywhere. And so that's the whole piece of this is that we want people to realize how loved they are. Yeah. Yeah, our our calling as a church is to take the gospel to every creature and then having taken the gospel to them to make disciples of them. So the process of discipleship is something that needs to be brought to families with disabilities as well. I think that that vision of that wonderful community that the church ought to be is an excellent vision and a biblical vision. We mentioned earlier that Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, especially in verse 22, when he talks about the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That that little phrase, seem to be weaker, is very important, right? Mm. Yeah, I think the concept of seeming or other versions say appears to be. Yeah. And I think that that concept of appearance of weakness can really go a couple of different ways. The, the first thing is that people are differently gifted and people who have trusted Christ as their savior have been endowed with a gift that they need to use to better the body. And that is not really dependent on your cognitive ability or your social ability. It really is a gift that God has given you. And so that unique purpose and that unique gifting can serve the whole body in some way. And sometimes it takes a little bit more work and effort on the part of the leaders to help people discover that. And so the other thing that I always like to think about Uh, Anytime I hear the word weakness is I like to think about the concept of that we need to become weak so that God can become more and be seen more. And so when I see the word weaker, I don't think of it in a negative connotation because that's something I think we should all be striving for is to find out how to become less so that he can be seen and be more in in all of our service as church leaders. Yeah. So I think it's also important to remember that God doesn't judge the outward appearance. Right. He looks at the heart. He sees the heart. And so that may be one of the reasons that people feel uncomfortable initially is just not being used to seeing something different about a person or looking at their appearance and making some assumptions. And that happens to all of us. It isn't just, you know, it isn't different among people that need to learn more. And we all need to learn more, including me. I'm always looking to understand better and love more in the way that the families and the people that God puts in my life. Excellent. I think that passage is extraordinarily important because in Corinthians, Paul is talking about that beautiful thing, the life of the body of Christ and the various differing forms of members of that body and parts of that body, and some seem to be uh, weaker. But it comes out of a whole theology of weakness that's profound. 
And yet, for some strange reason, as as Christians, as leaders, as churches, we sometimes, sometimes or perhaps often, we want to minister out of positions of strength, not understanding how profoundly important it is in Paul's theology that we're all of us ministering out of positions of weakness, and that that we do have gifts, but that we also are weak. Sometimes, you know, the the person themselves is the gift mm-hmm. to the church. There, they may, there may be not a, a, an opportunity for them to particularly do something, but they themselves are are God's gift to that church because they they bring to bear so many aspects of God's goodness and grace to us. We have a we have an older man that attends our church occasionally whenever he can get there who lives in a group home. And when he's in church and it's communion time, he starts humming very loudly in the middle of the, the whole service. And for us, we're so thrilled. Now we have music to go along with our <laughs> communion time. But it was pretty important for our pastor to say to our congregation, and we're a smaller church, but to say to our congregation, there's ministry in the hum. Yes. There's ministry in the hum. And we felt that it was a way of our leadership modeling the acceptance and saying to people publicly, it's okay. This is, this is God's house and we're all welcome here. And I also want to say I don't think people realize just how important it is for families to feel accepted when you're vulnerable enough to tell them, I don't know everything I need to know about you. Mm-hmm. Help me to learn. Help me to learn how to communicate and how to, how to build a relationship with your child or your adult, whoever it is. It's more important that we say that to a family than to ignore them or to act as if we're somehow stronger. Yeah. And that just opens a door of community that you can't get any other way. It's humility. Yeah. Yeah, that's important that modeling of behavior. I think elders can can do that and strengthen the church in that way. And also sometimes very direct communication like the statement humming is 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 part of the praise. I think it, it it's a good thing to be part of a row of ordinary hummers. You know, there's a church in California, and their uh, their community of special abilities comes to church with T-shirts that says, "I am indispensable." Excellent. And I always think to myself, that would be so cool to do that because when you look at this passage and and you read that word indispensable, that means you can't live without them. Right. We can't live without people that are weak, that appear to be or seem to be. Right. It's it's about ha- even having a healthy church. Yeah. And so for for some churches, when I talk to pastors and they say, well, we don't really have any people with disabilities around in our church, I always think, oh my goodness, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, on that passage in First Corinthians twelve, I, I'm I'm also deeply challenged uh, by the way the apostle ends that that powerful little paragraph when he says that, that we to recognize and understand each part of the body. And he ends it by saying that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's really wonderful. No division in the body. 
and care for one another, the same care for one another. We like to say people with disabilities need the church, and the church needs people with disabilities. Yes. Sometimes churches have a heart to help people, but they don't really know where to start. They want to help, but they don't know what to do. What would you suggest as maybe some small steps that elders can take to help congregation move forward? Well, I really always like to think about the concept of hospitality. I think that an elder can model hospitality, but define it a little differently than than we may have traditionally thought about hospitality. We want to be warm and welcoming. We want to greet people. We want to look directly at the person with a disability, speak to them directly, not just to their caregivers or family members. That's being hospitable. But I think we want to think about hospitality as taking a genuine interest in the person and also putting others' needs before your own. Sometimes when you are serving, that becomes very important to put someone else's need before your own. So I think that if we really model as elders, if we really model that type of hospitality, we are showing the congregation that this is something we should have and something that should be part of our church. So also building genuine relationships with people, taking an interest in the families that are affected by disabilities, the families with children or adults that God may bring to you that are affected by disabilities. Building relationship with them is also modeling to the people that you're leading ways that you can have an impact outside of church that affects things that are going on at church. And so building relationship and extending hospitality is is a, a real easy start. Like offering to go visit them at their home if everybody's comfortable with that? Certainly visiting, visiting in their home, or if you know that the family has a, a special activity that they do, asking if I could come to that activity or finding out some of the, the things that you could just really do to support the family, but actually showing the person with a disability that you want to come alongside of them and you want yeah. to do life with them. Yeah. I think too, putting your antenna up to notice the people in your church and to ask yourself, how well do I know families that are coming? And along with the hospitality piece, which is a great way to start, is to start praying and asking and learning as much as you can about how what, what's kind of the, the best way to talk with them. There's disability etiquette, for example. There are things that, that you can learn if you're willing and, yeah. and you have a humble heart. Yeah. And it's okay to ask people, you know, tell me about your child or tell me about your, your life. And once you've done that, you start to identify that there are people with a specific purpose that God has brought. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of do an, some assessment about what kind of supports and accommodations might they need to fully engage with us and to do everything that they want to do as a family or as an individual, to be part of the fabric of our community, mm-hmm. to be part of us, uh, to be missed when they're not there, right. that they belong. Right. And so once you've assessed that, then you can set some goals. Like I said, you may need to build out some things. You may need to make some changes, but not everything costs, and you can do some things 
rather quickly. I think awareness is a big part of what can I do. Yeah. Is build your awareness and look for the great resources that are online and different places to help you understand the community of people affected yeah. by disability. Yeah. The, almost, it's almost the simplicity of friendliness, of being a friend, and of being a friend not only when someone is at church in the, in the building, and that the and friendliness there can be hospitality in church can be the simple statement instead of saying you can sit there saying come and sit with us right that's mm-hmm. a that's a big thing but it, it has to go beyond church the church building as well um, oh, being definitely. a friend there are six days after su- after right. Sunday right. If elders were were planning on having some training in the congregation, what kinds of things do you think that they should um, address? And I'm thinking about how to help congregations increase their awareness or to understand issues of language or issues of mobility or issues of behavior. I know a number of years ago I came across Johnny and Friends had a little etiquette, disability etiquette leaflet. And it was the right size to photocopy and cut and put into the bulletin. And I just inserted them into the bulletin one Sunday and everybody got a a little leaflet that gives some instruction. I think that was a helpful thing to do. What what kind of things would you suggest? I think one of the first things that you can do is really think about your style of communication, uh, how important it is to speak directly, which I said earlier, to the person affected by the disability, not assuming that a response isn't going to happen, not being worried about what the person can say or can communicate or if there's interruptions in how they receive language, but communicating with them directly first acknowledges their personhood, yeah. um, the fact that they're, they are welcome, not just the family. Yeah. And then caregivers and family members that are responsible for younger children see that you have an interest in the person, not, not just the, the adults if it's a child or not just the caregiver if it's an adult. And also really around the way you speak to families. Uh, in, in using language, uh, Johnny and Friends likes us to use people-first language, which just it says that uh, we use the name of the person or we use the person by saying they're a person affected by disability, acknowledging their personhood first. We're also very careful to listen to families and and use the same language that the family may be using because our goal is to be warm and welcoming and include them so we want to be careful how we how we interact with families yeah and and i think you know as far as mobility and those kinds of things for etiquette uh, just view anybody who uses a mobility device a wheelchair or a walker it's just part of that person's personal space so any of the rules that you would apply to people's personal space just applies also to the equipment yeah and and don't let that become a barrier yeah you know, so yeah there there are horror stories about people in wheelchairs being pushed all over the place yeah yeah. Not good. And and there's a phrase I, I like to use in a lot of our trainings, and it, it, it says, uh, offer help when needed. And I really go to that phrase a lot because 
those of us that are nurturers and people that are educators and Sunday school teachers and elders who are leading others really want to offer help. But I think the important part of that phrase is not offer help, but it's when needed. Be a good observer and and step in when there is something needing needed, always asking the person first or asking the caregiver first. Those are just good steps in initial etiquette. I think as spiritual leaders, elders can represent the dignity of human life, the respect for every person, the biblical uh, foundation of disability, and God's heart for all people. And so even starting there with the foundation of this matters to God, mm-hmm. and it matters to me if I'm a disciple. Yeah. And walking with Jesus and helping others to walk to him as well. Yeah. And so having that passion, having that awareness is a good place to even communicate to all of the people in the church as we're in this together. This is where God's heart is. We want to make sure we're discipling, that we're, that we're bringing people in an accessible way to Christ. Yeah. And once that happens, then the other pieces of what Doug has just shared, there are different trainings on different topics that will help a church to grow in their knowledge and understanding, and then also in the ways that they can make those accommodations and supports so that it's, it, it, it tends to happen in stages over time, and it's very organic. And I think everyone that uh, would be listening to us, I hope you would say, you would think it doesn't have to happen overnight, and you can take it slow, and you can learn from the people that you're serving. Yeah. And do it in a way that honors the Lord is to pray and to really ask for their input. Some churches ask a couple or a family with a disability to go into the church and tell them what it feels like mm-hmm. or give them some feedback on what does this look like to you or how would you, how does this hit you or, you know, what can we do better? What can we do differently? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we recognize is that uh, people with disabilities have gifts and that people with disabilities sometimes are themselves the gift. What would you say are some of the blessings to be found in broadening our hospitality to include people with disabilities? Because often such people are marginalized, often they're trivialized or simply ignored in our our society. But what are the blessings that you have found or that you want to share? There's there's a great quote in a book called Adam, God's Beloved by uh, Henry Henri Nouwen. Did I say that correctly? Help me. We'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> and it just says that people with cognitive disabilities often possess qualities of welcome, wonderment, spontaneity, and directness. And they are a living reminder to the wider world of the essential values of the heart. And I like that quote because I think it sums up what a person's gift might be. Welcome wonderment, spontaneity. Those are all God-given gifts that we may not see. So many of us, when we go to church, put on our church face or have a filter that's different, but somebody with a disability may not have a filter. 
and we may be seeing them exactly who they are, how they were created. And so I think oftentimes just being able to interact with someone who understands that wider wonderment and uh, and sees God directly uh, because they were created by him. We like to use the the expression custom made. Uh, And then Liz and I always add when we're talking to the family that we know the maker and we are excited to meet people that are custom made and learn more about them. And so I think if you can take on that attitude of really understanding some of these things that look different or maybe unexpected as uh, really a gift to your church, uh, it helps. It helps the rest of the congregation understand uh, and learn those, as the quote said, uh, the essential values of the heart. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking time to meet with me, and it's been a joy to be with you again, and it's always a joy to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with you. The next time I'm going to get you together, I think we should talk about autism in particular, and we'll do that on a podcast in the future. But uh, thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Every blessing in the Lord Jesus.